Well, it's a great privilege to be here today. I bring the greetings of the fellowship back in Devizes. We often pray for you and pray God will bless you here down in Penzance. Well, this evening we're turning in God's word to Psalm number 56. Psalm number 56, and in your Bibles, that's on page 509. And our text is found in verse number three. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In this psalm, David has posed the statement as to what can man or what can flesh do unto me? Now, we could adopt a rather cavalier attitude and think that as God's people, then these issues, these troubles, these problems, these oppositions, including persecutions, including these things that happen to us in life, are somewhat nothing. remember hearing about a lady, and she'd been given a diagnosis of bone cancer that had spread, And when somebody said to her, she was a believer, said to her, I'm sorry to hear that. She goes, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's wonderful. And they said, well, you've got bone cancer. She goes, oh, it's nothing. Well, that's perhaps a little bit of a cavalier attitude. Is it true to say that when these troubles come, when oppositions arise, when persecutions are coming upon the people of God, that it's nothing, that it doesn't matter what people do, is it a true statement to make? Well, if you watch the news for a whole week, listen to every bulletin, you would find a catalogue of awful things that people can do to one another. You can read that about what's happening in the Middle East, and the atrocities that are taking place there, and the evil and the wickedness and the harm and misery makes us realize that men and women can do an awful lot of harm and cause a lot of misery, suffering, and sorrow. You could just look at your local news. I looked at our own news. We're just a small town in the middle of Wiltshire, and on the local newspaper, it was telling us about the way in which somebody is wanted in connection with violence, uh, grievous bodily harm injuries that occurred. Street drinking was to be banned because of violence and assaults were increasing. There were burglaries, and that's just in devices. Multiply that over our country, in the world, in these major national and international events, we can see very clearly that people do terrible things. Evil seems to know no limits. And so in these days in which we live, and as we look at David's experience here, we have to have a sense of realism about what life is like and what people can do. And here we find that David writes this psalm after going through huge amounts. So let's set the scene first off. Well, many of the Psalms are written in response to actual events or circumstances. They're not the hypothetical musings of an individual. 
thinking about the philosophy of life. They are writing about real time and real experiences. And so the emotions that you have on display here in Psalm number 56 are in reaction to something real and certain that has occurred. And it tells us in the title what had happened. We find that David is on the run. David is running away from King Saul. Now, what had David done that necessitated the requirement for him to flee for his life to the Philistines? Well, David had simply upset a very jealous king. The king of Israel, Saul, he's upset that David had more fame, more popularity than he had done. David, he had accrued a great victory over the Philistines through the power of God, and he had defeated the mighty champion of the Philistines, Goliath of Gath. And the whole of the Philistine army at that time had been routed. And instead of praising David and promoting David, we find that Saul becomes increasingly more jealous of him, filled with envy. And it's made worse by people saying how Saul had killed his thousands, but David had killed his ten thousands. And Saul's jealousy led to murderous intent. We find that in 1 Samuel 20, David has to go on the run. Saul has thrown a javelin and it's missed him by a whisker landing in the wall beyond him. So it's not safe for him to stay there any longer. But Saul isn't content with just having David out the way, sent out in a kind of exile. He is going to hound him and chase him down until he can kill him. And David knows this. And so David makes his escape from Saul. We find in 1 Samuel 21, the passage we read from, that David comes to Ahimelech and asks for help, food, and also to be given weapons. And so he's given the sword of Goliath of Gath that he had used to kill Goliath. And so David carries on in his journey. If we were to read a bit further on in the narrative, those priests that helped David, they would come to a murderous end themselves. We have mentioned in 1 Samuel 21 this man called Doeg, the Edomite. This is not somebody you want to invite round for a meal. He is bloodthirsty. He loves to cause harm and pain to people. And so what he does is after hearing these priests had helped David and his friends, he kills Ahimelech and his sons. Only one son escapes. What can man do to me? A lot. So David knows what can be done. He knows the capability of the wicked human heart. And he's witnessed this all at first hand. We then find that David, toward the end of 1 Samuel 21, seeks refuge with Achish, king of Gath, the Philistine king. I think it shows something of David's terror and the way in which he was being pursued that would result in David coming to this place of all places. If we just step back a bit and think about what David has done, you may think, well, why did you go there? Of all places, why did you go to Gath? 
Well, that is where he is. He's gone from the frying pan now into the fire. He's gone from being hounded by Saul to coming into the vicinity of where his enemies reside. If they know who he is, they're not going to be rolling out the red carpet for him. They're not going to be welcoming him. He's going to be landing himself right in the hornet's nest. Perhaps they won't recognize him. Well, very quickly, he realizes the grave danger that he's in. Because some of the servants of Achish recognize David and they say to the king, isn't this David? Isn't this the one who everybody sings about? How Saul slew his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And so this man that's now before Achish is not some kind of uh, anonymous asylum seeker. He is their prime enemy. And no wonder David is terrified. Well, how does David get out of this situation? Well, he pretends uh, to be mad. He fakes insanity. He starts to scrabble at the door. He starts to dribble, and he changes his behavior. And he's acting so strangely that Achish begins to get quite upset and quite cross that the Philistines have brought this madman into his presence and wants him gone away with, doesn't want him there anymore. The Philistines were quite superstitious. They thought that these kind of things were catching, and so it was better that they got rid of him and got him out of the way. And so David then escapes to Cave Adullam. So these are the experiences that shape what we have in Psalm 56. So coming back to the psalm, if you look at the opening verses, you see what David says, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. It's no surprise he writes that. Seeing the injustices that he's encountered, it's no surprise that we see that fear present in the opening verses of this psalm. You live down on the coast, and I'm sure from time to time there will be sharks around here, not the great white variety that perhaps you have in Australia. But just imagine you're, you're swimming in Mount Bay, and you look behind you, and there is a fin coming up out of the water behind you. Well, at that point, I'd be swimming really fast. And then imagine the, the mouth of the shark begins to open, and it's getting closer and closer to you. And at any moment, those jaws are going to come crashing down, and you're going to be swallowed up. In a sense, this is how David is feeling. He feels the pursuance of Saul behind him, gathering pace, getting closer and closer to him. At any moment, he's going to be swallowed up. But it's not just like that. He finds that he's oppressed and he's fighting every day. Every day is a battle. He's in a war. He's struggling just to get through to the end of another day. He says here of his enemies, my enemies would hound me all the day, just pursuing, chasing him, driving him down until they catch him. 
And his enemies are not few. They are many trying to cause him great harm. Do you feel like that? Perhaps in your life, in your circumstance, that you find yourself feeling like you're about to be overwhelmed, to be swallowed up. Perhaps somebody is out to get you, to cause you harm. Perhaps somebody is so unpleasant that all they want to do is hound you, wear you down until you give in. Well, that can happen in the world, but it can happen to the Lord's people. Perhaps you have somebody at work who belittles your faith, and they know what buttons, as it were, to press to really rile you up. And so they just keep at it, they keep at it, keep at it. Perhaps it's not somebody at work, perhaps it's a friend, or perhaps it's a relative. And they despise your faith, and they do everything they can to try and get you to have a chink in your armor so that you will just recount, as it were, and just give up. Well, this is how David is feeling. He's escaped the javelin of Saul, and yet Saul hasn't stopped. He's escaped to the place where Ahimelech is, and there's Doeg, and now he's gone to Gath, and there is Achish wanting to cause him harm. Everywhere he goes, there is the enemy. At this point, it wouldn't be very helpful to David or somebody else suffering like this to say, well, you know what your problem is. You worry too much. You worry too much. Or somebody else saying, well, don't worry about Saul. Or don't worry about Doeg. Or don't worry about Achish. David, I'm sure, would answer you. You do know what they have done. And you do know what they want to do. And you do know what they are capable of doing. But we can have that same kind of attitude with our fellow believers. You may find our believers going through some financial difficulties. And somebody will very well-meaning say, well, it'll be all right. Or somebody else will be going through a marital problem and they will say, well, it'll sort itself out in the end. The person that's unemployed may be told, well, you'll find something in the end. The person with health issues may be told, well, the doctors will think of something. They're very clever these days. Your child is being bullied at school and perhaps you say, well, the bully will give up soon. These kind of things are not overly helpful because they're at the basic level. They're just empty platitudes. Those people that are in these situations are facing real distress. They're facing real fears. And David here isn't dismissing the fears that he has. He's not relegating them to being nothing. And so what David is facing is real and present danger. But how does he respond? He doesn't just go through the rest of the psalm wallowing and go, woe is me. Because what we find is he comes with great faith. When we face fears, whatever that may be, we may have certain reactions. One might be to fight. You're being threatened, and so you respond with aggression. You may find that another response that you have is to 
flight, you run away. Imagine we walk out of the church here tonight and we're walking down the street and you suddenly hear heavy footsteps behind you. I'm sure everybody would start to walk a little bit faster to try and get away from those steps. And if you felt those steps were increasing in frequency, well, you would respond in frequency. You'd begin to run to get away from these fearful situations. Another response we can have is to freeze. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, how that somebody was scared stiff. They can't run and they can't fight. Well, these are all responses that we can have to fearful and stressful situations. But David does something different. He employs faith. Verse 3, whenever I am afraid... I will trust in you. Or as the authorised puts it, what time I am afraid, I will trust in me. How could David turn to faith given the amount and the ferocity of the troubles that he was facing? It's not natural. The natural thing is to run. The natural reaction is to freeze or the natural reaction is to fight. How is it that David could trust God? Well, David tells us in verse 4, in God I will praise his word, in God I have put my trust. David knew his God. He's already committed himself to God. He's proved God's protection, God's kindness already. He knows that God has promised him many things, including that he would be king. He is in the hand of God. His times are in the hand of God. And so he knows that whatever he faces, God has, is going to be with him. When he faced Goliath, David told uh, Saul on that occasion how his God would protect him from Goliath because he had already protected him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. And that gave him great confidence to go and fight Goliath. Here he is now, having had the experience of the bear and the lion and Goliath, and now Saul, who's thrown his javelin that's missed him, that he can testify that God is with him, that God is looking after him, that God is watching over him. And so he has confidence now face whatever may come to him. When we think about all of this, David could then say, I will not fear what flesh will do to me. Why can David say that? Because he has a great and a high and exalted view of his God. He knows his God is all-powerful. He knows his God will not forsake or leave him. He knows his God is righteous and just. And even if that Saul or Achish or Doeg or somebody else would take his life, they cannot take his soul. In Psalm 139, in various places in that psalm, the psalmist speaks about that wherever he goes, God is there. And he says that when I awake, I am still with you. So even if death were to come to David, 
he knows that that's not going to separate him from his God. When I awake, I am still with thee. In Psalm 23, another psalm written by David, and there he describes the relationship that Christ has with his people, and we see how David would have known the Lord bringing him by those still waters, bringing him by those green pastures. He would also know, and he's proving at this point, how the Lord is with him in the valley, in the valleys of the shadow of death. He knows the Lord has provided a table for him, even in the midst of his enemies. He knows how the Lord has anointed his head with oil, and he's going to bring him safely through his life until he comes to God forever. David here is trusting and resting on his God. What time I am afraid, or whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. What are your fears this evening? Perhaps you have fears that relate to temporal things, the things that we, we, we touch and we, we have need of in this life, things like money, or our future, or our family, or our health. Who's the one that we can trust? It's God. God has promised to give seed time and harvest, summer and winter. He is a God that provides our daily bread. He's the one that does all these things. He's the one that knows our future. He's the one that knows us and has our good as his motivation. We can trust God for our needs. George Muller, he had an orphanage, or many orphanages actually, in Bristol, just up, the M5. And he operated those orphanages not by appealing for money, in fact, he never did that, but he made his needs known to God in prayer. And the testimony of those homes and the testimony of George Muller was God always provided. Not once were those needs not met. But perhaps you're not worried about such things. Perhaps you are concerned about your soul. After all, our souls are the things that are most valuable. The Lord Jesus Christ said on one occasion, what is a profit of man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What does it really matter if you could have all the possessions that this world had to offer at the expense of your soul being right before God? Perhaps for you this evening, you're looking and you fear the future. You're concerned as you look back over your life how you have broken God's law. Not once, not twice, not just a few times, but over and over again. What's going to happen to me? What will I be able to say? Where will I be sent? What's going to go well with me? Will it go anything go well with me on that day? Well, David would encourage you, as we have here, trust God. Look to God. Look to God's provision. 
What has God done? He's provided you a way of escape for people like you, sinners like you, and God has provided that saviour to deal with your sin. And by believing on him, trusting in him, you'll have eternal life. When the law of God terrifies you, and when the prospect of judgment causes you to have rising fear and anxiety in your hearts, trust God, but look to his provision in Jesus Christ. You may be a believer, you've made a profession of faith, you've been living a consistent Christian life, and yet you are plagued with those fears that so often rise up that perhaps, after all, you're not saved. You lack assurance. You think, well, perhaps I've deluded myself. Perhaps I was never saved after all. These are real fears that we can face. As you think about your life and as you think about the life to come, death terrifies you because you don't have that assurance in your soul. What's a hope for you? Well, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Look to God. Rest in his promises. Take hold of the promises that he has given, those promises which are yes and are men in Jesus Christ. And though your faith is so small, think about the one in whom your faith is locked into, the all-powerful one. The Apostle Paul He would say this in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Keep looking to God. So when troubles come, they don't disappear They don't evaporate. They don't just turn to mist on a summer's day. No, they are there. But what times I am afraid, this is what we are to do. We are to trust in God. As you carry on through this psalm, you may be tempted to think, well, David has known victory in verses 3 and 4, but then you come down to verses 5 and 6, and he's back to square one. He's back where he once was. Because he says this, every day they twist my words, every day they stalk my path, they lay in wait for my soul. Has David here given way to fear? I don't think he has, because his confidence is still the same. But the reality of these problems and these issues are still present. But yet when they keep emerging, he keeps trusting. He keeps looking to God. And so these fears, though they encircle, they keep looking to God. Well, that's how life can be. People will sometimes say, well, it's no benefit being a Christian because troubles still come. What's the point? Well, Troubles are still there, the fears are still present, but God is still there as well. When we think about raising our Ebenezer, 
That's what Samuel did in the early parts of 1 Samuel. He raised that stone. He called it the Ebenezer Stone because hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Because God has been with us in the past, we can have confidence to trust him for all that is to come. And even if the worst should happen for David, and even if the worst should happen to us in this life that our lives were taken, what does that really mean? For the child of God, it means instant glory, instant deliverance from this world, instant joy. And the person that's been taken, what will their testimony be? The Lord has kept me and then brought me to himself. So though new fears or old fears resurface, they are no reason to stop trusting. Keep trusting and keep remembering what your God has done and who your God is and how your God has kept you hitherto. Well, as you come toward the end of the psalm, you discover how faith has the victory. None of the things that David has faced, none of the things that David has experienced have gone unnoticed by his God. You read it there in verse 8. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? My grandparents went to Israel uh, back a few years, or quite a few years ago, and my grandfather came back with a little bottle, and it turned out that it was a tear bottle, a place to put your tears in. And it's a reference to what we have here. The idea here is that God collects our tears. They're not forgotten. They're not ignored, but God has kept them. He remembers them. It's all recorded in his book, and he will be with his people forever. And so nothing has been missed by his God, and so there is this great victory of faith. As the psalmist here praises God and seeks God, the enemy is going to recoil. They begin to turn back. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. This faith sustains him into glory. He continues with this theme, in God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can man do to me. And so this psalm starts with fear and ends with triumph. Why does faith triumph? Because his faith is locked into God. Therefore, he and we cannot lose. Dear friends, you may be here this evening and you are not a Christian. Who do you turn to in times of trouble? Yourself? Others? How are you going to face that final day when you have to give an account of your life before God? Who's going to stand with you to plead on your behalf? You'll be there alone and you'll be cast out. Look to God now. Trust God. Look to his provision, Jesus Christ, and be saved. But you may be a Christian. 
and you perhaps find yourself waking up in the night and all the worries and all the troubles come flooding in. What can you do then? Well, memorize verse 3. Make this your reaction to such difficulties. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Think about how your God is described in the scriptures. Think about how much your God loves you and has provided for you. Think about all of these things. And then ask yourself the question, the thing that I'm worried about, the thing that's causing me fear and anxiety, does it exceed the power or the strength of God? And I know, whatever your trouble is, the answer will be, No, it doesn't. You may have to ask the question, does the trouble or the person or the the issue that you're facing have the ability to outwit or to outsmart your God? Whatever your trouble is. I don't know all of your circumstances, but I know this. It won't outwit the wisdom and the mind of God. Does this issue that you're facing have the ability to have authority over God and over his word? No, it doesn't, because our God is sovereign. He is ordering all things according to his purpose. When you meditate upon God, then whatever the fear is, you will find it's put into its perspective. And there's nothing that your God cannot do. We sing a a song with our children on a Friday night, and it goes something like this. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the skies are his handiworks too. My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. David here, he knew what fears were, but he also knew who his God was. And he could say this, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Amen.